We want to go into the, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a book sometimes that we overlook. Sometimes we don't spend a whole lot of time on it, or uh, sometimes we don't um, dive into it and in, enjoy the, the message that's there uh, and all the simplicity and the things that it relates to life, just life in general, and a lot of things that, whether it be good and whether it be bad, uh, it has a lot to say to us uh, about life. Most of us in life, at some time or another, have contemplated the big question of life. Who am I? Why am I here? One might say. What is the meaning of life? What is there beyond this life? And I believe in these times, such questions seem to be even more pronounced and answers more complex than the days in which we live currently. But you know, the Bible gives us the answer to these questions and gives our life a real meaning. You know, as Christians, we accept the Bible as God's word. And it's God's word that is to be followed. And in these days that we're living in, and the time that we're living in, these questions are, are fair questions. Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? Some 3,000 years ago, there was a man who, with wisdom from God, penned this book of Ecclesiastes. In this book, these questions are addressed. Ecclesiastes, we could say, is a summary of the quest of Solomon to find what is the meaning of life. Let me suggest to you tonight, whether you're young or whether you're old, I just recently had to compose a uh, paper in my master's program. And I had to do a self-analysis of where I am currently in my career as teaching. Where, are, where am I? Am I in the beginning of my teaching career? Am I in the middle part of my teaching career? And, or am I toward the end of my teaching career? And the textbook that we're using uses such words as the beginning being the orientation stage of professional development or the um, stage, I forget one of the other words, but the other one was refinement stage of where you are and, and you've got all this information and, and what do you do and what do you do with it and, and how can you help other people with this wisdom and knowledge that you have. But one of the statements that stuck out in that paper was this, that so many teachers get stuck in the orientation stage where they have all the knowledge and all the things that they need, but they don't have a roadmap to leave that stage. Well, as I was writing that paper, I was thinking about this study and, and what we're thinking about tonight. As I was studying this, I'm thinking about the paper. Sometimes maybe we get stuck in the orientation stage of life. 
we have a lot of the knowledge, we have a lot of the thing we need, but sometimes we really don't. We do have a roadmap to know which way to go, which is the Bible, but sometimes we don't move out of that stage in our lives. We really don't find out what the true meaning of life is and, and versus our teaching, what's the true meaning or where am I in my career uh, in these types of things. So as I was co contemplating and putting the two together, it made a, a true statement that we have to examine and know the answer to these questions. Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? Who am I? Uh, and what's beyond this life? As we can relate it to our teaching careers or even any career that we are involved in. So tonight I want us to look at this book. As with the Psalms, we'll examine it from the beginning to the end. Uh, in, in, in the Psalms, you know, you, we go and we study those and we make meaning to life and, and Proverbs and all those things. But I want us to take this book and do, do the same um, in the numerous subjects that it has to offer. You know, we may from time to time move around uh, in and, and look at other things in, in the Bible, but I want us to look and introduce this book and to present a lesson concerning what it has to offer to your life and to mine. You know, a lot of people say sometimes, well, why are we studying the Old Testament? Well, we just studied the Joshua. Got through it, been through it on for many, many months, uh, studying it for the Bible. Bowl. But someone says, well, why do we do that? Romans 15 and verse 4, what? It's written for our learning, our admonition, our instruction, if you will. First uh, Corinthians 10 and verse 11, and it's part of God's word. It's profitable to us. We can read and study and, and see the meaning and the answer to these questions that we've already presented and presented to you tonight. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 and 17, uh, we always want to know that it's profitable and it's always want to know that we study to show ourselves approved, to be able to learn from those things. And as always, we want to make application to our lives this very day, uh, this very moment. So what about the little bit of background concerning this book? The book of Ecclesiastes, or the word, rather, a Greek word, from the word, <clears throat> taken from the word preacher. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, notice what it says. The words of the preacher. We often hear preachers talking about that when they're preaching, don't we? The preacher says in Ecclesiastes, whatever, but it says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem but also meaning a preacher or teacher to a public assembly. It's related to the Greek word, translated as church. We've established it. Uh, we have established means the assembling of God's people in times past in other studies. But again, the title is to imply that it's a discourse delivered by the teacher of the congregation of Israel. We can say tonight that Solomon is its author. While some question that in my study, I've seen that, its authorship. Um, some dating this book after their turn to exile, but the internal evidence seems to point to Solomon as the author. Um, so you think, and, and you'll see scripture as we go through to, to back that up. So what about the brief history of Solomon? Solomon was whose son? David's, wasn't it? David's son with Bathsheba and the promised heir to his throne, 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 28, and following in that chapter, describes David at the end of his life 
appointing Solomon to his throne. And as King Solomon began in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 3, he began with humility. Now notice that in 1 Kings 3 and 3. Says that he loved the Lord and walked in his statutes. Except he sacrificed in the high places, the temple not yet built. In 1 Kings 3, 5 and 9, so the Lord appears to him in a dream and offers him anything he wants. You remember this, don't you? Solomon requests one thing, doesn't he? That's wisdom. Not only is he given wisdom, but tremendous wealth and power and fame. So continuing in the book of 1 Kings, in chapter 6 and verse 8, he built the temple for God, which he accepted and became the permanent place of worship for Israel until its destruction. And during Solomon's life, he was extremely wealthy and successful in subduing his enemies around him. In the city of Jerusalem, if you remember, it is said that silver was a common as stones. 1 Kings 10 and verse 27. And he made many things with the great amount of gold he possessed. If you remember, he had uh, 700 wives, 300 concubines. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 3. The text says that he loved women. <laughs> That's going to be his downfall, isn't it? Oh... Uh, going to be his downfall. He entered, he entered married contrary to God's wishes. These wives caused him to turn his heart away from the Lord and to follow their idols. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verses 4 through 8. And as a result, the Lord was angered at Solomon and declared that after his death, the kingdom would be taken from his descendants except from Judah. And this was only because of his promise to David. 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12 through 13. That becomes the tragedy of Solomon's later life. So just a little brief history about Solomon. But why is the book attributed to him? We talked about him being the author. Chapter 1 and verse 1 begins by noting that he is the who? Son of David. King of Jerusalem, verse 12. If you go on that same chapter back to the book of Ecclesiastes, he knows that he was a king over Israel in Jerusalem. Verse 13, he sought to seek and search by wisdom all things done under heaven. And recall that Solomon was given wisdom from God. Chapter 12 and verse 9, he set in order many proverbs. And he wrote over 3,000 proverbs, 1 Kings 4, 4 and 32. He's very wealthy, we've already mentioned, as we go through the book in chapter 2 and 4 through 7, records that great wealth. Chapter 2 and 4 and 6, he built things, including houses. And we could go on and on and on, all the way through the book. But also, Solomon was qualified to write this book. Some of the qualities we see in this author, in Solomon as well, is his pessimism. The very idea of all being vanity. Frustration with life's inconsistencies we see. He was also self-centered and materialistic. And this is seen in the various things he tries. He proclaimed the existence of God with him. Life was, has purpose. Without him it does not. 
he comes to realize that his life has been a waste and there should be a focus on God. So, you know, as we study this book, we see what the purpose of this book is. And it's to answer the questions. Why am I here? Why is the meaning of life? Ecclesiastes 1 and 1 through 3 up into verse 13. Vanity of vanities. He says, And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given the sons of man by which they be exercised. The whole question is, what profit has a man for all his labors under the sun? You see, some things to think about as we continue this study. What part of the old law we learn about the nature of man and God, which has not changed. We also find practical observations that are always true about life. And this book has many. Activity is continually addressed. The book continually deals with being active. And what it says is not all bad. There's a place for and merit in being active. Talks about the word vanity, a word meaning emptiness or vapor. Actually, it's used about 38 times in this book. Talks about the breath used 24 times in this book. Talks about death in this book. You know, what happens... to our success when we leave this world how will it be used Paul noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19 if in this life only we have hope we are all men most pitiable you see there's a lot of wisdom in this book the word in, in this book wisdom is used some 53 times and it addresses as good and worthy of respect. In fact, the writer, Solomon, declares that it is in his quest he used wisdom. Please ask these one in verse 13. But don't let it be the end all. End of all, wisdom can turn you against God. As we can read in 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 25. Talks about, uses the word fool. These are all words you're going to see in this study. The word good, observations, and God is used some 40 times in this book. And I guess if we had to outline the book of Solomon, it's a difficult book actually to outline because it deals with so many different subjects. But I guess you could say we could do the, the introduction would be chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. His pursuit for meaning Chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 26. The observations of warnings about life. We could say chapter 3, verse 1, through 11, verse 8. And then last, lastly, in number 4, prepare to stand before God. Chapter 11, verse 9, through chapter 12, verse 14. You see, the writer here, Solomon, encourages that we start thinking about God even as early as what? Our youth. 
Solomon's conclusion, chapter 12 and verse 13 and 14, you're very familiar with this. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. Judgment is coming, he's saying. In this book, I believe, in this study will help us prepare to meet our God. In verses 1 through 3, <clears throat> all is vanity. All there, meaning material and worldly pursuits, is vanity. You know another word we could put there? Emptiness. All of things of the world and all of our pursuits in the world are just simply empty in comparison to eternal life with God. And what do we find ourselves doing sometimes? We find ourselves putting more emphasis on what? Things of this world. That's why the scripture says, you know, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If one should love the world and things of the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. You see, even in Sol Solomon's uh, difficulties of life that he began with humility and, and serving God, he learns these things, doesn't he? But all, meaning material and worldly pursuits, emptiness, a vapor, if you will, or, or breath, and it's a word that we find in, 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 as far as vanity and all, 75 times in the Old Testament. And you know, 38 of those 75 are found in Ecclesiastes. And they're all in reference to things that the word in the grand scheme, this world, is nothing worthless or without value. In reference to mankind, it is emptiness or futility. In the scripture there it says, What profit has a man for all his labor in which he toils under the sun? How many today, how many of us, <coughs> and how many people do we know, pursue wealth, fame, power, entertainment, pleasures, or luxury in life? How many? We all do, don't we? We're all guilty of that. Oh, there's nothing wrong with having fun in life. I'm saying that. But all of these things, thinking that they will give one completion or fulfillment. All these things that we pursue, entertainment and pleasures and luxury and fame and power and wealth, We think that they will complete and fulfill things in our life. But you know what? Just as Solomon, we find out that the pursuit of such things often leave you empty. Young people, you need to hear this. Older people, we should know this. We've probably lived it. We've probably had that attitude younger in life, didn't we? May even have it now. When we take and we've, we put so much emphasis on the things of this world that we really lose the whole meaning of life. And just know that those things 
for the moment, might give you fullness. Those material things, all of these things that we go and do and to entertain ourselves and to make ourselves, what do we say? We've got, we got fall break this week. And those of us who teach, you know, and, and stuff, we, we said, boy, we're, we, ain't got, we ain't got nothing to do this week. We can just entertain ourselves and go and do and, and those types of things, which is nothing wrong with rest and things. Our Lord even done that. But again, in all those pursuits, they leave us empty. You ever, you ever went on a trip or something, went something, and you're so excited, man. You, you, you got ready, you're gone, you got there, and, and you go through the days, and you, you, you go there to relax. And how many of you ever said, well, I'm going to have to go back home to get some rest? Anybody ever said that? I have. And you're so excited about all these things, but then you come back home, and, and you feel what? I do something. I feel sad. I'm like, now what do I do? I've enjoyed all this time and all this money and all these fun things. Now we're on an emotional what? Letdown, aren't we? That happens after Christmas. Y'all think about that. All the way through starting right now, you're starting to see some Christmas commercials already. It's a big build-up, big build-up, big build-up, big build-up, big build-up. And when we get to Christmas, Christmas Day, and then we're what? We're back down. We're like, that's all over. It's kind of like a wedding. <laughs> it's kind of like you're playing years for a wedding for 30 minutes. Sometimes not even that. And you spend all that money and you're like, it's all gone. That's what I said after my wedding. I was like, really? All this time and money for this? I mean, I did get a prize, though. She's giving me a look, so that's why I said that. I get myself in more trouble. <laughs> but it, it, it's empty, isn't it? All these pursuits in life that we go after are empty. And Solomon knew that. How many search for us for real meaning in this life but refuse to acknowledge God in our pursuits? Only to find ourselves empty and unfulfilled. <laughs> you remember Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26? What profit is to a man if he what? Gains the whole world but loses his soul. If we gain all of these things, what has it profited us? Just for a short time. James describes life as what? A vapor, doesn't he? Just for a short time, we're here upon this earth. We're just traveling through. James, again, that vapor appears for a little while and then vanishes. Friends and brethren, there's futility when we put our hope in the things of this life. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19 is clear that in this life, only if we have hope, we of all men are most pitiable. And you know, there's no exception to this. If one fears God and keeps his commandments, Ecclesiastes 12 and 12 through 14, that's where the real value is. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. So verses 1 through 3, we've talked about all his vanity, all his emptiness. But what about chapter, chapter 1 and verses 4 through 11? We read just a moment ago, <clears throat> down through uh, five, 
In verse 6, it says, The wind goeth toward the south and, and burneth about unto the uh, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place where from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it, and the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that have been, the thing that have been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There's no remembrance of former things or generations, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Chapter, verse 4. One generation passes, another generation comes. You know, the thing is, and what this is saying, we're all going to die unless the Lord returns. Especially what that's saying to us. Moses in the book of Psalms in chapter 90 and verse 10 said, The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 is appointed unto man wants to die. Yeah. Then the judgment. When we die, that's it. We don't take anything with us. And this is oft repeated in the emphasis in the book of Ecclesiastes. One generation passes and another comes, doesn't it? You see, that's the, that's the brevity of life. That's the way God made it. You know, we, we understand that generally, exception, exception for a tragedy or accident or something, the old usually die before the young, don't they? You see, it's not in the order of life when a parent must bury a child. That's one of the saddest things to me. You see, that just messes up the whole order of what life is, isn't it? But you think about it. We don't take anything with us. In verses 4 through 7, it says, The earth abides forever. You know, continuing to think about the fate of man's short life, we read, but the earth abides forever. The world goes on. There's no one who is indispensable. That the world cannot continue without him. You know, sometimes I think we emphasize things in our life so much in our jobs. Even sometimes in the Lord's church. But even just our position in life. We feel like that sometimes people develop this. That it can't go on without us. Let me tell you. There's been some pretty prominent people that I've known through the years in the educational world or other places that passed on through a tragic death or accident or something. But guess what? They continued on. What though they used to say, one monkey don't stop the whole show? Is that right? Yeah. 
So it's going to continue on. Sometimes we think we're indispensable. Sometimes we think that it's, 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 it, it, they're not going to be able to make it if I'm not here. Well, guess what? They do. They do. But again, very few have a lasting impact that causes their names to be remembered by any beyond their generation. But the world goes on. The sun rises and the sun sets, as we read. It continues on its circuit and with such precision that we can tell to the second when the sun will set and rise for decades to come. You ever track the sun this time of year? We start losing a minute, right? And then so many minutes a day. You can track it down. It's not going to stop. It's not it's going to be that way until the Lord comes back, isn't it? God has set it in what? It has set it in motion. He set it up that way. After the flood, this was promised by God in Genesis 8 and verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. You see, things are going to continue on. No matter what about us. Well, what about the, that part that says the wind goes, goes toward the south and turns around to the north? It whirls continually and comes again on its circuit. Like the sun, the wind is consistent. Though not as exact as the sun, but somewhat predictable, isn't it? Yeah. We can do that. We'll stop right there tonight and we'll pick up at verse 7 the next time the Lord permits that we can come together. But I hope you study this book throughout the week and get the understanding that you can and what I will present to you on top of what you may learn that I don't know or I will not present uh, will help you better understand this book. It's just another good study area for us. We've got our Sunday morning books and you get into the book of Ecclesiastes, it has a lot of good information for us. You know, as we pointed out tonight in the introduction of this book, in the first few verses, all is vanity, the preacher says. In this world, all things are empty. You know, in that sense, all things are empty. When we think about it, emptiness is just that, isn't it? There's nothing there. We have, it's like we, we have nothing if it's empty. We like to see full things, don't we? We like to say, well, my, my whatever's full, my bank account's full, or <laughs> my whatever is full. We don't like to see empty. And empty usually has a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? But let me tell you and remind you of the tomb. The tomb of Jesus. That's the only empty thing I guess I can think of that has no negative connotation to it. When that tomb was empty, it was a positive thing, wasn't it? Our Lord had overcome death, victory over death. He had arisen on that first day of the week. Why seek you the living among the dead? Our Christ had arose. Victory over death. 
You know, we can have victory over spiritual death, can't we? We can have victory over that. One day we will rise again. Once we're baptized, we, we are, are resurrected out of that watery grave, just as he was resurrected out of that tomb, to walk a newness of life. Our Lord walked a newness of life, didn't he? He went back to the right hand of God, didn't he? Yeah. And you can do the same tonight. You can confess sin, repent of sin, and have those things removed. And be back in the right relationship with God. Don't let the things of the world, older people and young people, grab your attention. It's always amazing to see our children when they grow up and how they mature and how things that are bright and shiny and twirly and things will attract a young person's attention, isn't it? Yeah, all the, our little babies, they see things dangling and, and sparkly and things and it attracts their attention and, and they're, they're mesmerized by it. And as they get older, those sparkly, dangly things are, are things of sin and they're mesmerized by it. And they say, oh, I, I like this. And that's how we find ourselves living in sin. Tonight, you may need to become a Christian. You may need to put Christ on in baptism, and you're not in the body of Christ. You see, there's only one body of Christ. There's only one body of Christ that he will come back as his bride and take back to his father. Lord, Lord, God's going to say to the Christ one day, he says, go get the church, your bride, and bring them home. If you're not in that church, now there's a lot of churches, as people call them, a lot of religion. But there's only one found in the Bible. Only one that Christ is going to bring back home to his father. And that's his church, the one he built, Matthew 16 and verse 18. If you're not a part of that church, you will not be able to go home. You will not be able to go to home in heaven where we will live eternally. Tonight, if you need to make that decision to become the body of Christ or repent and confess sin, we encourage you to do that. He tells us, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And God wishes that no man should perish. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering, but one day he's going to say, come home. Tonight, maybe you need to get in that relationship with Christ. We encourage you to do that. If anything we can do to help you, please come. Together we stand and as we sing.